kind of looked like science would eventually be able to answer all the important questions anyone could ever ask about life and the universe. So why would you default to God? I just wasn't interested. Jay Warner Wallace was an atheist and a police detective when he decided to investigate the radical claims of Jesus. He was troubled by what he found. It began to look like Jesus was telling the truth. And that's disturbing because if he actually came out of the grave, if that's the most reasonable inference from the evidence, that's going to change everything. You're listening to the first episode of a special summer series of GPS, God People Stories. Over the next few weeks, we'll hear from three people who went searching for truth and found the ultimate truth in Jesus Christ. GPS is an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I am Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. It's good to be back in the studio again, isn't it, Jim? Amen. Good to be here. Our guest on this episode, Jay Warner Wallace, tackled questions that Billy Graham said have confronted people for centuries. Who is Jesus Christ? What is he really like? What did he claim? Millions around the world today are asking, who is Jesus? You'll hear how Billy Graham answered that question a little later in the episode. You can talk with someone about who Jesus is right now or any time of the day or night by calling our 24-hour prayer line. The number is 888-388-2683. That's 888-388-2683. Or head over to our website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. GPS. God. People. Stories. I grew up in southern part of Los Angeles County um, in a suburb, a small town called San Pedro. For most of Jay Warner Wallace's childhood, it was just him and his mom. My parents divorced when I was about three. Uh, my parents had one child, me, and then my dad remarried. And uh, his second wife, he had six kids with. Um, she was Mormon. Uh, but my mom was kind of raised as a cultural Catholic. But by the time of the divorce, um, we were not, you know, she was not, I, I never saw her as somebody who was a Jesus follower or a religious person, really more of a cultural kind of a connection. Like, what do you do on Christmas? What do you do on Easter? Yeah, sure. You go to mass. Jay Warner, who also goes by Jim, would tag along with his mom when he was little. But after that, he was done with church. By the time I was around 10 or 12, I really told her I didn't want to go anymore. I wasn't interested. Um, I didn't think that was any of it was true. And I really was part of like that generation of of young people growing up in the 60s who kind of thought, hey, you know, it wasn't by the end of the decade, we were on the on the moon. And it kind of looked like science would eventually be able to answer all the important questions anyone could ever ask about life and the universe. So why would you default to God? I just wasn't interested. And he would stay disinterested for the next couple of decades. Jim grew up and graduated from college with a bachelor's degree in design. Then he got his master's in architecture from UCLA. And along the way, he met the woman who had become his wife, Susie. After experiencing his parents' divorce, Jim wanted to be the best husband he could be for Susie. And that's what led him away from architecture and into law enforcement. I ended up jumping in the academy because I thought it would be a better um, job for my marriage. As crazy as that sounds looking back at it, uh, it's not a great job for marriage. It's a tough job for marriage, but it felt like, um, you know, when you get, when you work overtime in, in law enforcement, you get paid overtime. When you spend an extra 20 hours in architectural firms, you don't get paid for that. You just decide, well, I'm just, I, this is my creative work. I have a creative 
uh, things take time. So I want this to be the best project it can be. So I'm going to spend an extra 20 hours here this week, and I don't care if I get paid for it or not. Jim's dad was a police officer, so law enforcement had a certain familiarity about it. And Jim saw a chance to do something honorable while raising a family with Susie. He was 27 when he switched careers. He eventually became a homicide detective, and he was good at his job, particularly when it came to cold cases. Jim relentlessly pursued the truth. By the time he was in his mid-30s with two kids and a successful career, he wouldn't have changed a thing about his life. But Susie had started wondering whether church should be a part of their children's upbringing. And I thought, no. <laughs> like, what? No, I don't, I don't think it needs to be part of their upbringing. If you want it to be, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to join you. I wanted to do whatever I needed to do to be a good husband. Um, and if that meant going to church and even pretending to like it, I'm fine doing that. It doesn't have to be true. Like my dad would do it. I was fine going as an atheist. So Jim went to church. He had no expectations whatsoever of getting anything out of it. He just hoped it would be as painless as possible. Susie chose a big evangelical church near their home in Orange County, just south of Los Angeles. To Jim, the atmosphere seemed more like a big party than the somber services he had seen growing up. The pastor was wearing jeans and a button-down shirt, and Jim only remembers one thing he said. That day, he said that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. And I thought, hmm, is that true? I mean, why would you say that? So I thought, okay. I was interested in um, ancient smart. It didn't have to be true. It could just be useful. Jim was intrigued enough to buy a Bible. He expected to find a big collection of proverbs, ancient nuggets of wisdom that could be useful in everyday life. He knew of other religions that offered that. But he was not expecting to find the historical claims he discovered in the Bible, like the claim that Jesus wasn't just a wise teacher, but truly, actually, the Son of God who was crucified and rose from the dead at a particular time and place in history. I had no idea that when I was going to open up and looking for the words of Jesus, that they would be encased in this historical narrative, right? Like, no, it's not going to just give me the teaching of Jesus. You want me to believe it happened this way in history. That's what these authors are asking of me. And I thought, okay, well, you know what? I can test historical claims because that's what I do for a living. Now, remember, as a homicide detective, he was used to pursuing the truth. But searching for spiritual truth? That was new territory. But many of the same methods applied. I'm working cold cases, mostly. Those are just unsolved murders. Okay, these occur in the past. They, um, they can be tested. Um, and, and so I, and I often don't have, you know, they're not great. The reason why they're cold cases, because they were lame cases to begin with. I don't often have, you know, I don't have any video of this. I don't have any DNA. I don't have any fingerprints. Um, I've got to figure out what happened in, a, in, a, in an event in the past that I can't return to. Even though I might have some statements, maybe those witnesses have died now. So I don't even have them around to talk to. It's very much like investigating the claims of the Gospels. It's an event in the past. I don't have any living eyewitnesses I can talk to, no DNA, no, no fingerprints, but I got to figure out what happened in the past. There are four main ways to test eyewitnesses after a crime has happened. Was he really there? Can he be corroborated in some way? Has he changed his story over time? And does he have some bias or some motive that would cause him to lie to me? Basically, those are the four major things that we ask jurors to, to look at when they are examining eyewitnesses. So I said, okay, let me just take that same approach with the gospel authors and see if they pass that test. 
One of the first things Jim investigated was whether the people who wrote about Jesus' time on earth were really there to see it. So I needed to know, were these gospels written early enough to have been written by eyewitnesses or at least be written early enough that if somebody knew that this wasn't true, they could call them out? As he dug into the evidence, Jim found that the answer was yes. I don't know if people realize this, but the gospels date really early. And you know that because the book of Acts is missing key historical uh, activity that that Luke would have included, like the destruction of the temple is missing in the book of Acts. The death of Paul is missing in the book of Acts. I think the book of Acts is probably right around 60 or earlier. And that means that Luke's gospel is even earlier than that. Based on evidence, Jim dates the book of Mark between 45 and 50 A.D., and the book of Luke between 50 and 53 AD, which is roughly 20 years after Jesus' death. Now, to put that in perspective, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terror attacks. There are still thousands of eyewitnesses alive today who could accurately describe what happened. They're still there to speak 20 years after the fact. Or they would be quickly called out if they made things up. Even the biblical scholars who date the Gospels a couple of decades later, around 70 to 80 AD, know that there still would have been witnesses alive to confirm or debunk the accounts. There's something else that's crucial to know about eyewitnesses. Their stories are typically not identical. That was on Jim's mind as he read the four biblical accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As I read through the Gospels, I thought, wow, you know, they don't match up. They don't line up. Like if you look at the account of, let's say, Jesus walking on water in the gospel of Matthew and compare it to the account in the gospel of Mark, they are different. I mean, Peter gets out of the boat in Matthew. Peter does not get out of the boat at all in in Mark. Uh, There's some differences. Those differences are something skeptics often use to try to discredit the Bible. But rather than being put off by those differences, Jim was drawn in by them. His experience had taught him to be so. The different perspectives of the same event reminded him of the eyewitness accounts he had investigated at work. I had seen so much of that. I had seen so, I had investigated so many, I've talked to thousands of witnesses before I ever read the Bible. And I kind of had a sense of what multiple eyewitness accounts feel like, you know, the texture of those accounts. Jim's career had taught him that it's normal for different eyewitnesses to share different pieces of the puzzle. After about eight months of doing a deep dive of the Gospels, Jim couldn't help but notice his quest for truth was moving him in a certain direction. I said to Susie, you know, I think the Gospels are telling us something true about the resurrection. And that's disturbing because if the resurrection, if, 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 the, if he actually came out of the grave, if that's the most reasonable inference from the evidence, that's going to change everything. Jim and Susie were both arriving at the same conclusion that Jesus was actually who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and that he had miraculously risen from the dead, appearing before many witnesses who turned their lives upside down and in many cases lost their lives in order to follow him. Even though Jim was starting to accept this stunning truth, he needed more than evidence to believe the miracles. He needed faith. Faith is not something that's blind. It's the step you take at the end of the evidence trail. And you ask jurors to do this all the time. You're going to get to a point where I can't answer all your questions. I'm going to give you all the evidence I can give you. But in the end, you're going to have to take a step of trust. We're going to call that to render a verdict. 
Jim knew the evidence could only take him so far before he would have to render a verdict about Jesus. He spent 40 days in Acts chapter 1 with the disciples after the resurrection doing what? Giving them many convincing proofs. That's the word for evidence in Greek that's used in that text. Jesus is like this this guy who's giving you more than enough reason, but you may still have some questions, just like a jury has questions. But you've got more than enough evidence to step across the end of the evidence trail and, and render the verdict. And that was where I was. And I knew two things, that he was who he said he was. And then at some point I realized I am in need of who he says he is. That last part, that last part is key. Jim came to believe not only that Jesus was the Son of God, but that he came to earth to save sinful, broken people. Jim realized that group included him. And it changed who Jesus was to me. But that doesn't give you belief. That doesn't make you a Christian. That's just belief that. I had belief that the Gospels were telling me the truth. You don't move from belief that to belief in until you stop reading the Bible for what it says about Jesus and you start reading the Bible for what it says about you. And I didn't do that until I could trust it for Jesus. So as I got to the point where I was like, I kind of trust that this is, yeah, I feel like this is reliable. Okay, well, now what does it say about me? For Jim, reading the letters from the Apostle Paul took him to the next step. He remembers how the book of Romans and the book of 1 Corinthians went straight to his heart. It hit me that Paul was talking about me. And I suddenly realized that I'm that guy who's in need of a savior, but good for me. I had already discovered there was a savior. <laughs> you know, I trusted what it said about Jesus. So I was, I was, you know, now I could, I could move from point A to point B, but that's really how I became a Christian. I, I first examined it. To, so, and once I knew I could trust what it said about Jesus, I began to read what it said about me. After more than 30 years without a relationship with Jesus, Jim now wanted to learn everything he could. Eventually, I entered seminary, you know, a couple of years later. I think I studied more in the years before I entered seminary than I did once I entered seminary, just trying to get to the truth of it. And so for me, it was, it was, I was obsessed. And uh, Susie will tell you that she saw that and she thought I was either crazy or God was up something. And, And I think she was probably, her path then was a little bit different than mine, but certainly she was listening to every day I would tell her what I had discovered that day. So by the time I was, I said, I think I'm, I, I'm in, I, I'm, I'm ready to trust Jesus on this and got baptized. She was right there with me. Jim and Susie had two more children, four altogether. Jim ended up turning what he learned on his quest for truth into a book, Cold Case Christianity, a homicide detective investigates the claims of the gospels. He and Susie have also written Cold Case Christianity for kids. And Jim has published four more books, As for his detective work, he still consults on cold cases, and he's appeared on Dateline NBC and other national shows. Jim's confidence in the truth of Christianity has had a major impact on his and Susie's children. They grew up um, with this this idea, this notion that Christianity wasn't just um, working for us. It wasn't just the religion of our family. It wasn't just the tradition of our family. It was true. And even if you wanted to deny it for a season, It's something that's always going to be in your future because you eventually have to come back to the truth. And because they knew it was evidentially true, that's that's where they ended up. Just as Jay Warner Wallace discovered, 
Jesus Christ is real and he wants to have a relationship with you. We can help you start that relationship right now. Visit us at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. Or call our 24-hour prayer line, 888-388-2683. That's 888-388-2683. Jay Warner Wallace spends a lot of time talking about the evidence for Christianity. In just a minute, he'll share about a different aspect of faith, serving others, not out of obligation, but out of joy. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Who is Jesus Christ? What is he really like? What did he claim? Billy Graham. Millions around the world today are asking, who is Jesus? He was sinless. He didn't have to die, but he died for you. He died in our place. He took all the suffering, shame, disgrace, dishonor, and death, and he bore it for us. He was made a curse. He was made sin on our behalf. There's going to be a time of judgment, and all of us, the Bible says, are sinners. And we're all facing the judgment. And the Bible says when you come to Christ, all your past is wiped away. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. God can take your life today and do something with you that you never dreamed of, if you'd let Him. He can bring an excitement into your life and a thrill in your life and a sense of forgiveness. You can listen to the rest of that message at the Billy Graham Audio Archives. To do that, just go to BillyGrahamRadio.org click on Billy Graham Audio Archives, and then search for this message title, Who Do Men Say That I Am? We also have a link to the message in the show notes. You've been listening to Jay Warner Wallace, a cold case detective and former atheist who investigated the claims of Jesus and found them to be true. Next week, you'll hear from someone who went searching for truth through the use of hallucinogenic drugs before finding truth in Jesus Christ. For Jay Warner Wallace and his wife Susie, discovering the truth of Jesus had big implications for how they decided to serve others through their church and elsewhere. I mean, when we became Christians, we decided we can't be about us. We would never have served others in the way that we've served others in the years since. Never, if we hadn't become Christians. It wouldn't even dawned on us. But suddenly, when you, when you know that someone has done something for you like what God has done for us, the response we realized that how much we had been forgiven for. And it changed the way we started forgiving others. And I think serving others, we knew what had been done for us. And so we didn't start serving others out of like, you know, the sense of duty. We did it out of a sense of gratitude. Like, how could I not do this? And I think our kids saw that. I hope they saw that. Um, And because there was a time when we weren't like that, there was a time when I wasn't, that wasn't who we are. Hopefully they can compare those two sides of the cross. We want to thank Jay Warner Wallace for taking time to share his story with us. And we want to thank you for listening to this episode of GPS. Be sure to watch for a new episode next week. I'm Phil Fleischman. And I'm Jim Kirkland. GPS, God, People, Stories, is an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Good news.